come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us heartily rejoice in the strength of our salvation. Welcome to PreachingChrist.org, the preaching ministry of Father Patrick Malone, Vicar of Holy Cross Anglican Church in Milwaukee. If you have any questions about the Bible or the Christian life, contact us at Patrick at PreachingChrist.org. As we're walking through the epistle to the Ephesians, uh, we find ourselves in verses 15 through 20. 15 through 20. And Paul is coming to the end of an argument that he's made where four times he tells us how to walk or not walk. So he's using a theme of walking. We saw in uh, the epistle lesson the theme of running, of being in a race. Uh, We saw in the Psalm 95 the image of uh, the children of Israel being... Uh, disqualified from their rest because of their grumbling. So, we find here in Paul the sense of being qualified or disqualified. And this is an image that reoccurs in Paul a number of times. We see it in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, where he tells them to stand firm in the gospel unless you fall away. Here we see him talking about uh, walking, uh, not walking as the Gentiles do in uh, Ephesians 4, 7, walking in love in Ephesians 5, 2, walking as children of light in Ephesians 5, 8, and now we see him talking about walking wisely. Walking wisely. Look Carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making best of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, walking wisely. When I was uh, roughly my son's age, I was a youth director of a church in Cleveland, in the Cleveland area, and part of our youth ministry was to take the young people, the high school students, on these uh, wilderness adventures. Uh, Some years we went up to uh, Canada, and we would go on these 125-mile canoeing trips. We would go over land and go to the next lake and uh, paddle to the next end of the lake and portage for a while. And uh, during this time, it was, uh, these were designed to kind of stretch the young people, to take them to their physical limits. And hopefully that simultaneously they would see their spiritual limits and want to cry out to the Lord to help them and to begin walking with Christ. We also went out west. We would go to 
the Colorado uh, Rocky Mountains. We went one year uh, to the Grand, a uh, couple years to the Grand Tetons. And uh, one year when we were in the Grand Tetons, it was just myself, a good friend of mine, and his father. And his father was probably my age-ish, uh, late 50s, early 60s, and he was a very vigorous guy. And uh, we were probably at uh, you know, 10,000 feet up on the Grand Tetons, and in this one area that we were at, there were these boulders about the size of uh, little Cape Cod-sized houses, you know, little square boxed houses. And these boulders were massive, and we had to make our way across a couple of miles of these boulders. We would climb up on a boulder, cross the boulder, crawl down, and we did this up and down these massive boulders, walking between the boulders, walking over the boulders for a couple miles. And it took us almost a day. And uh, the older gentleman, his name was Jay, he had my uh, pickaxe. It was a little bit longer, and I used it as a walking stick, and he was having trouble, and so he was borrowing my pickaxe. And uh, it was getting around uh, 2 or 3 in the afternoon. We were all tired, and uh, Jay wasn't walking wasn't watching where he was walking. He wasn't, as what Paul encourages the Ephesians to do, he wasn't looking carefully about how he walked. And now imagine falling off the peak of a two-story building onto small rocks below. And not only that, the head of the pickaxe Uh, went and broke one of his ribs. He wasn't walking wisely. He wasn't paying attention. He wasn't purposeful in what he did. And the rest of that day and the rest of the trip was marked by helping Jay make it to the next location. And it was laborious, and he was in pain. And at times, we wondered if we had to call for help. Eventually, his rib got better, and we made it out, and uh, we learned a valuable lesson. Even if you're experienced in what you're doing, you have to continue to watch what you're doing, to look carefully about how you walk. And Paul here uses uh, Jewish categories and imagery and he tells the people don't walk as unwise but wise don't walk as unwise but wise well the greeks and the jews of the day had two completely different ideas about wisdom how to acquire wisdom what wisdom was For the Greeks, wisdom was the acquisition of knowledge. They wanted to be the guy who could stump Alex Trebek in the Jeopardy game. The more knowledge you have, the more wisdom you have. But for the Jews, wisdom was something very different. You needed knowledge, but it was more than just knowledge. In the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, 
uh, there were three types of people. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. There were three types of people. There was the simple, the fool, and the wise. The simple, the fool, and the wise. The simple person was the person who just didn't have the information, like a young child who sees a stove for the first time, turns the knob, puts their hands on the top of the stove, and didn't realize that the burner was on. So a simple person is a person who just doesn't have the information. Secondly, the fool knows the information and acts against it, doesn't care about the information. They know what God's will is, and they they go against it. They make a purposeful decision to ignore the information from God. Adam, in the garden, was a fool. He was given the information, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day you will surely die. He knew about it, and he went contrary to God's uh, information. The third person knows the information, has knowledge, and they live according to God's commandments. So the wise person, as they carefully walk, they are walking according to the scriptural uh, commands, the scriptural guidelines, the statutes, the ordinances of God. They say that this is information from God, and if I follow it, my life will be better and I will be in communion with God. The fool is always in a state of being in and out of communion with God, depending on if they're following God's will. So the wise person looks carefully when they're walking and they're following God's will for their life. They're making best of the time because they know that the days are evil. Our days are evil. All days since the fall have been evil. And it's always, e- it's always easy to fall away and to stumble and to find yourself in a mess. We see this illustration with Lot and Abraham. Their herdsmen were quarreling. And Abraham didn't want that because it was affecting his relationship with Lot. And he said to Lot, you know, we need to separate for a while. If you go west, I'll go east. And if you go north, I'll go south. You pick, Lot. And Lot looked down and he saw, wow, that is an incredibly interesting city down there. whole group of cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. That might be an interesting place to go. And Lot's decision led him astray. And his life and his family became a mess. And it took angels to save him and his family. The Bible calls Lot a righteous man. But he made foolish decisions. He went contrary to God's will. And the Bible is saying to us, do not be a fool. If the Bible says something to you, we should be eager to obey it. We should be eager to do his will. Now, I remember as a young man, 
wondering, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? And believe it or not, God's will is fairly clear and simple. Now, we're not talking about whether or not you work this job or that job. You buy this house or that house. Frankly, those things will become apparent as you do them. But there are some pretty clear information from Scripture about what God's will is. First of all, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and I would encourage you to write these down. God's will is that you embrace Jesus Christ. God's will is that you embrace Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, verses 21 and 20 to 23. God's will is that you embrace Jesus Christ. Let me read that for you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Then will I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. God says, I, I never knew you. You didn't come to me in prayer. You didn't listen to my word. You didn't pray that you would know my son more clearly, more deeply. I didn't know you. God's will is that not you just come to church, but that you would embrace the Savior of the church. Not that you would be merely baptized, but that you would embrace the one whom you're baptized in. Not that you would just take the bread and drink the cup, but that you would embrace the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Not that you would just sit through the sermon, but that you would embrace the Christ who's speaking through the sermon. Secondly, God's will is that you take up your cross daily and follow him. Luke 14, 27 says, Luke 14, 27, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of my kingdom. Taking up our cross daily, saying, Lord, I'm laying down my will and I'm embracing your will. That's what a wise person does. I'm setting down my agenda, and I'm picking up your agenda, because your agenda is wise. Thirdly, God's will is that you live spirit, a live a spirit-filled life. Back to Ephesians chapter five, uh, near the end of that section that we read. The Apostle Paul says, Be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you're going to be a crazy person. 
Being filled with the Spirit is praying, Lord, guide me, lead me by your Spirit. And we're led and guided by the Spirit through the Word of God. We know that the Spirit is here when the people are here wanting Christ. We know that the Spirit is here when when the Word of God is preached accurately. We know that the Spirit is here when the sacraments are administered properly. Lord, don't let me be guided by drunkenness, by wine, by drugs, by pornography, by the passions of my flesh, the desires of my mind. Let me be led by your Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 Fourthly, God's will is that you would be holy. God's will is that you would be holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God, not one, not that no one transgression and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. God's will is that you would be holy, that you would be sanctified, that you would flee the things that the world says is satisfying and important. Sixthly, God's will for your life is that you would remain faithful even during times of suffering. God's will for your life is that you would remain faithful even during times of suffering. 1 Peter 3, 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The Christian life, life in, life in general, is a life of suffering. In our Sunday school class today, we've been going through the catechism, and it tells us that the way of death is not knowing God, is not having the Holy Spirit, is not following God's will. And that suffering is just a fact of life. And what I found in my years of being uh, ordained, and even more since I've been working as a hospice chaplain, the number of people that are estranged from God 
because they couldn't handle the suffering of this life. Somehow, somewhere, they were given a bill of goods that if you obeyed God, that you would be removed from suffering. That is phony. Obeying God is a duty that every person has, whether you suffer or not. And sometimes in this life, the more we strive to follow God, suffering will increase. You'll lose friends. You may lose a job. But the, it's God's will that you remain faithful even during suffering. Other passages, First uh, Peter 4.19 and 2 Timothy 3.12. Finally, God's will is that we are submissive to one another. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Submissive. Submissive? I need to take what I want. I need it now. I'm not being submissive. That might put me in a vulnerable spot where someone might take advantage of me. But to be like Christ is to be submissive to God's will. Not to be abused, not to be uh, hurt purposefully, but submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ. To follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, to take up your cross and follow Jesus, is to be submissive. Submissive to one another. And this is the jumping off point for the next portion of Ephesians chapter 5. Everyone's favorite verse, both men and women, Wives, be submissive to their husbands in the Lord. I mean, that's just, everyone has that on a bumper sticker. I mean, when, when you're at the Super Bowl and the, the, uh, uh, two point, the, the extra point is being uh, kicked through the goalposts, what do they raise up? Ephesians 5, verse 21, right? No. It's our nature not to be submissive. And our culture reinforces that. But to be like Christ is to be a submissive person, submissive to God's word, submissive to authorities, submissive to what God wants, submissive to what is best for the people around you. Submission is the only way that we can walk in love, walk in light, walk as a wise person. It's easy to walk like a Gentile. It's part of our DNA to walk that way. It's part of what our culture promotes to walk that way. But to walk in wisdom, to walk in love, to walk in light, we first have to be Submissive. Submissive to God, submissive to his will, submissive to his word, and submissive to those in authority in both the civil realm and in 
the realm of the church. Four times, Paul has used the imagery of walking. And we come to the apex of this illustration here in verse 15. To look carefully how we walk. Not as a fool, not as a simple person, but as a wise person. Knowing and following and embracing God's will. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.